All right, so we are continuing in our uh, Nehemiah series, looking at the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, and this series is called Return to God, because, well, guess what happens is you drift away from God. If you're not focusing on God's ways and God's word and God's promises, uh, you drift away, and so God's people time and again have to be called back to return to him. That's the big theme uh, at this portion of the Bible that we're looking at in returning to God. So even though, uh, let me give you a recap if you're not familiar with the book of Nehemiah, you haven't been journeying along with us, let me re- recap it real quick. Uh, even though God had saved his people, the Israelites, from Egyptian slavery, even though he brought them out and brought them into their own land and established them as their own nation and blessed them and called them to be righteous and to shine the light of his goodness to the world, they screwed up royally and they turned away from God. They started worshiping false gods. They started uh, perpetuating evil and injustice in the world. And God intervened in a very radical way and actually sent foreign nations, sent the Babylonians and the Assyrians to conquer them and to exile them uh, into Babylon, from Jerusalem to Babylon. And they were in exile for 70 years as part of God's punishment upon them for what they had done. It was a radical intervention. And then after 70 years of this, people begin to return. And one of the key figures, one of the key people who returns is Nehemiah. Nehemiah, turns out he's the cupbearer for King Artaxerxes, who is the ruler of the Persian Empire at the time. And uh, Nehemiah has favor with Artaxerxes and He secures resources and permission to return to Jerusalem and to rebuild it. So it's still in disrepair from the original conquering, but also recently the walls and the gates have been, parts of the walls and and the gates have been destroyed and and burned down. And so he secures this resource uh, to actually go and to rebuild and to fortify and to restore God's people. Why does all this matter? Why is this important? This matters because this is part of the story. This is how the Bible fits together in the grand scheme, the grand history that God is writing to save the human race from their sin. God had always planned to send a savior, a Messiah, one who would pay the price for our sin. And Nehemiah, the events surrounding Nehemiah are building, they're a few generations ahead of it, but they're building towards the restoration of God's people in the Old Testament to bring about the savior of the world, to bring about the ministry, the work, the coming of Jesus. That's what it's all pointing towards. That's what it's all working towards. And then today, what we're going to see, we're going to continue on here. We're going to be in chapter 6, verse 15, through chapter 7, verse 4. And we're in a transitional time now from, they're switching over from this fortification project they've been doing. And now they're switching to beginning to switch towards now reestablishing customs and, and cult, their culture that they had before they were exiled. And they are essentially reestablishing the proper pursuit of God. Hopefully they've learned some lessons as they've been through this over the generations. Let's pray and then let's read God's word. Jesus, we thank you for your word. And we pray that you would continue to teach us today through the story, the events of Nehemiah that we would be transformed by it, that we would have a new vision for what you're doing and that we would be different from this day forward. Lord, that you would achieve your restoration purposes through us and in us to be a light in this city, to bring life here through the gospel of Jesus. We pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. Verse 15, chapter 6, verse 15, carrying right along from last week. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul, 
in, the, in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Era, and his son Jehoinahan, had taken the daughter of Meshullam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. Now, when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem. For he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And, and, and while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. This is God's word. So, in 52 days, in 52 days, they complete their building project. This is amazing. They must have called in a bunch of help. I think Chip and Joanna Gaines showed up. The Property Brothers showed up. I even think they got that guy, Ty, from Extreme Makeover. I think they pulled him out of retirement again, and he showed up, and he helped out too. They had to get everyone on board for this building project. I run, amazingly, actually, interestingly, the average time for a fixer-upper project is about 52 days. Just, so it proves, again, the point that everything has its origin in the Bible. <laughs> everything does. So... This means both the gaps in the walls that they had, they rebuilt those. The gates had been destroyed and burned down. They rebuilt those as well, despite incredible opposition in 52 days, an astonishing, astonishing task that they've achieved together. It goes to show. It goes to show. It's an amazing example to us that when we obey God, as God's people, when we trust God, when we follow his leadership, when we band together, when we join forces and we put our efforts into seemingly impossible things at times, God blesses those efforts. God multiplies those efforts. God brings those efforts into fruition and we see the accomplishment of great things, things that we in our natural selves would say, it can't be done. It's impossible. They had ups and downs. Many of them said at different times, it can't be done. It's impossible. But here it is. They have done it. They've reached this milestone. Now, Many Christians, it can, be, it can be, you know, depending on the, the, the challenge that we face, it can be fairly straightforward to say like, yeah, you know, I, I want to express faith, I want to pray, I want to trust, I want to respond to something, I want to give towards it or participate in it. Like, sure, that can be okay, but there can be times, seasons, or even just 
Maybe some people's lives are a season of this. Their whole life is a season of doubting. Doubting that the big objectives that God puts before his people, that they actually can be achieved. Doubting that. And, and we, you know, I don't blame anyone for having doubts and struggles. We all have our seasons of struggling with faith and doubts. But it's important to recognize if you're in a season of doubting or you're just a more doubtful person, because some people are just wired that way, you just struggle with faith for it. Just whatever season you're in, it's important to recognize, hey, I'm that way or that's my season, and recognize to share your concerns in a constructive way rather than a destructive way. Because the message from this passage that we're reading today and the message from the Bible that we have to allow to penetrate our hearts is that God does immense, incredible, impossible, crazy things that we could never imagine. God achieves these things. And so it's important to trust him each step of the way. Without big faith, without big vision, this project would never have been accomplished. Without massive faith, even if it had started with a mixture of these things, it, maybe it could have gotten started, but there's no way it could have been sustained if Nehemiah and others hadn't continued to cast vision and had faith that, they, hey, we can get there. We can rebuild this. This is possible to do this, even in the face of great setbacks and great challenges. And they had great setbacks and challenges. They faced death threats. They had threats of imminent invasion. They had a famine happening. They... Um, they had oppression from within. There was intimidation coming every day. They were overly taxed. We read about that. There was a conspiracy against Nehemiah last week. We learned about the conspiracy. There was bribery happening behind the scenes to try to change the power dynamics. And they persevered through all of these things. They overcame all of these challenges because they trusted God. They put God in first place. And so because of that, God blessed it. They reached this first milestone, this mile marker. They, they reached it. Now, this building project, completing this, this is not the goal. It was a goal. It was one of the goals. It was a stepping stone, but it wasn't, it's not the goal. The goal, the big thing that they're going for is, of course, is to glorify God, is to restore Israelite worship, is to rebuild the nation that God had originally called, the descendants of Abraham, is to, to, to reestablish that, to fulfill the purposes of God in the world. And so this is not the final outcome. This was a stepping stone to get them to that. And Trinity Church, I want to say to us today that I have faith and I believe that God is still guiding us. God is with us. And that if we don't quit, if we don't give up, if we express our trust and our followership of God and of his ways and his purposes, that we can achieve the goals and the things that God has set out for us, that we can achieve the, the glorification, the greater glorification, the name of Jesus being famous in this city. We can continue to achieve that only by his grace. And so because of that, we want to, just in, as in Nehemiah's day, we want to maximize this place for the glorification of God. And some of the things that means for us is you know, continuing with our building project that we have here. We want to own this facility. We don't own it yet. We want to, we're trying to buy this church facility. We want to maximize it for kingdom purposes. We want to multiply services here. We want to make a difference in this city, in this location. We want to do a renewing work here where there's spiritual death in this place. We want to breathe life into it, multiplying ministry 
here. In our post-COVID restoration work, because they're in a post-exile restoration work, we're in a, a post, I guess the, the, the pandemic was kind of a, an exile type experience because we were all exiled from just the normalcy of life and from each other. And we're in our post-COVID restoration and we're trying to rebuild and we've been trying to rebuild different things, rebuild our serving teams, raise up more small group leaders, trying to continue. We relaunched our building fund project. We had that on, we hit the pause button on that for a couple of years and we're trying to get back into and rebuild those things. Now, even having explained this, even looking at the story of Nehemiah and then explaining like some of the parallels for us and how it can relate to us and how we can think about our time and the calling that we have as a church, we can still have a disconnect Sometimes some of us can struggle with a disconnect, and maybe there are seasons of this again for any of us that we can struggle between the practical things of ministry and the spiritual things of ministry. There can be a disconnect. So, for example, Nehemiah is building a wall, but the wall serves a bigger purpose. You know, we're trying to buy this building, we're trying to do all these different things. Hey, it's those things, those are practical steps, but they serve a bigger purpose. Just because something is practical, doesn't mean it's not spiritual. Doesn't mean it's not, doesn't serve a spiritual purpose. Doesn't mean that. Of course it does. Think about it like this. Nehemiah, what happens? They've, they, they've hit this milestone. They've restored the walls. They've restored the gates. They're now a fortified city. They've, they, they've built their own national defense because they've got enemies surrounding them. They're in great danger. They're very vulnerable. So they've, now they can actually defend. They, the exiles can return. They can actually defend it and not be obliterated and destroyed. And that was a very practical step, but what does he do now that they've achieved that, that big milestone? He appoints gatekeepers. We read it in the passage. He appoints gatekeepers. It's a very practical thing. It was a project. Everyone, everyone, it says in previous weeks, we read it, even the perfumers had to help build the wall and build the gates. Even those people, the people would say, no, we're just into the, the nice scents and the nice clothes and that's what we're into, but no, even, hey, even you, you gotta, you got to carry a bucket and carry a shovel, and you got to pitch in. That's, that's what we do as God's people. We all pitch in. We roll up our sleeves, get involved, get some dirt under our fingernails. Don't worry, you can clean it later on. But we, get, we, we pitch in in that way practically, and so they've achieved this massive step, and now he appoints gatekeepers in order to maintain that level of security they have. But what else did it tell us? It says he appoints singers. They appoint the singers. Now, all the, all the worship team is happy to hear this. Like, okay, this is fun. We get to make music, and it's not all just hard work and construction work. It's, we get to make some nice melodies, and they appoint the priests as well. So we've got practical things happening, and then we've got some more, what we might think are more spiritually oriented things, but I think that's the wrong way to think about it. I think we have to view it, they go hand in hand. They go together, these, these glorious things that we do, and we've got to see the connection between the little steps we take, and then the big outcome that we're looking for to glorify God, to enhance the worship of God. Hey, you got, if you don't build the wall first, you can't release the singers into the glorification and the enjoyment of God. That's what it means to glorify God, is to enjoy Him. That's what it means. Now, you know, we're not, we're not mystics about this stuff. Right? We're definitely not mystics about this stuff. So Jerusalem, you know, Nehemiah's wall that he's rebuilt, this you know, we're saying it's a spiritual thing to do as well. It's obviously a practical thing, but it serves a spiritual purpose. We're not saying that there's something unique about those bricks, that there's something supernatural about, you know, just as we wouldn't say, you know, sitting around here that this 
this place, you know, people like to call church auditoriums, you know, sanctuaries and things like that. And I'm not opposed to that kind of language, but you've got to understand we're not mystics. We don't believe there's something, anything special about the particular bricks in this place, that they're somehow anointed or supernatural in, in, in that way. Although I will say it is a, a small miracle when I complete a home project that definitely, so there's something spiritual about it for sure. But we're not mystical in that way. So we, we're not, we don't want to be superstitious about church environments and church buildings. We want to be superstitious in that way. Many people can be that way. We're not that way because of what the Bible teaches us, that we are, the people are the body of Christ, that the Holy Spirit is with us. And wherever the people dwell, that's the house of God. That's the home of God. We use that place to serve others and to bless others. That's the point of all that. So even though we're not superstitious in that way, we've got to realize that a house is a tool to build a family. A house, it serves a spiritual purpose. A house is a tool to build a family. And this is the house that God has brought us to at this time, to host, to serve, to bless, to, to gather together, to, to do that. And I believe that we, in faith, I have faith that we can reach the goals and the calling that God has for us, the things that he's put in our hearts to do, that we can make more disciples in this place, that we can be more effective at reaching the lost. We've recently been really focusing on the Alpha course and trying to uh, help bring more unbelievers into a context where they can hear the gospel and they can explore the Christian faith. And I, I've got faith and confidence we can keep building towards those efforts, keep building towards those things that we can see something great happen here, that we are seeing something great and we can continue to see the fruit of that uh, for us and for God's purposes and for God's glory. Now, Nehemiah's vision that he had, that God had given him, God had put it in his heart to fortify Jerusalem. That's the first big step, fortify Jerusalem. Once that's complete, look what happens. We read it in the text. The surrounding nations are afraid. They're afraid. And they even admit, they now admit, that it was God who helped the Jews with this work in 52 days. They admit that it was God who helped them. This is an incredible reversal. The tables have turned. The turntables have turned. And what we saw was, we saw that God's people were the underdogs. They were the vulnerable ones. They had been in exile. They'd been a people who were crushed, people who almost lost their identity, who could have been absorbed into Babylon. But by God's grace, he preserved a remnant. And then he called the exiles back out and they're returning by faith. They've been returning and but they're still very vulnerable, extreme, extremely vulnerable. And it seems like with the surrounding nations, they have all the power. They are intimidating us. They're coming against us. They're, they're, they're out to destroy us. And it flips around. It flips around, even to the point now that the people are saying, they're, they're even recognizing this, this is God who's done this. This is God who's done this. Think about this. Apply this to us in our culture, in our context, in our time. It can feel like we're surrounded by a culture that is increasingly antagonistic towards Christianity, increasingly rejects the God of the Bible and is suspicious of Christians. That's a real challenge. It's a real challenge. How do we live out our Christian faith with confidence, with wisdom, with boldness, not being ashamed of the gospel, but saying this is the greatest message and we want to share it with people? How can we do that? It's a real challenge in our time, in our day. We can, we can feel like we're surrounded by people who perhaps don't have our best interests at heart at times. But 
the passage we've read today and the message that I have today to share with us is this, that in a day, in a day, the power dynamics in an entire region can change like that. In a day. Not just the attitudes of the people, not just the perspectives of the people, that suddenly people are re-examining, you know, because these people were very confident. Nehemiah's enemies who were trying to stop this fortification project, stop the, the, the return of Jews from Babylon into Jerusalem, they were trying to stop it. They were so confident, so braggadocious, and now suddenly, suddenly they are small in their own eyes. In one day, that changed. Don't forget this. Don't forget this. In a day, in a moment, people's perspectives, people's confidence that they've had, that they say, I know why I exist, or I know what's true, I know what's not true, or whatever it might be, in a moment, boom, everything can change for people. God does this all the time. He does this all the time. The, those who seemed like they had no power and were vulnerable, suddenly they're the ones with the answers. Suddenly they're the ones with the truth. Suddenly they're the ones that we're looking to. But it's not just that their perception of the Israelites changed, it's that their perception of God himself changed. Think about that for us, that people would say, we see that God is with them. That's where the presence of God is. If I, if I want to get answers, if I want to find out what life is all about, if I want to dig deep, if I want to do all those things, that's the kind of place I need to go. Because there's something different there, something's going on there. I can't see this anywhere else in the world. Nowhere else am I, am I getting anything like this or am I experiencing anything like this? This is what's happening in one day. It's not our power. Now, we, we can't make people respond that way. We can't force that or engineer that somehow. That's God's providence. That's God's power at work, but we can sure pray for it. Oh, man, we can pray for it and say, God, ex speed up your plans, you know. Bring about a revival, bring about a restoration, bring about a spiritual awakening in this city. Bring it to life. It's dead. Bring it back to life. We can pray for that. We can act. We can respond. And we can imagine. We can put ourselves into the shoes of Nehemiah. Because if you imagine it, the people would have been fearful, afraid the whole time during this whole reconstruction, this whole restoration project. Are we going to make it? We could be destroyed at any point. And now suddenly, one day, when it's complete... Everything changes. Everything changes. Perceptions change. Attitudes change. God did an amazing work in these people. And so they crossed this massive threshold from we've been focused on the refortification. Now we're going to be reestablishing our customs, our worship. We're going to be building up the glorification of God to shine a light to the nations, that people, that this message might go out, that people might turn to the one true God. And even though even though it was really obvious and been very clear throughout this journey with Nehemiah that Nehemiah is God's man for God's mission, even though he's, he's, he's been clearly called to do this, God's blessing is upon him, they, he's been able to overcome these challenges, he's put God in first place at every step of the way, and, and this would be a big boost, right? Completing the wall and, and the gates, this is a big boost to the people. Even though all of that has happened, and even though it's very clear that, that, that his enemies, like, like Tobiah is mentioned here, Tobiah, clear enemy, has been trying to stop Nehemiah's work since the beginning, even though all of that is blatantly clear, it appears from what we read that many of the Jews, many of the nobles in particular, are siding with and are loyal to Tobiah, one of the enemies, and not Nehemiah. 
How is this possible? These guys must have hated the DIY work that Nehemiah made them do. Something, they're just, whatever, it, you know, how is, this, how is this happening? How is this, this is another now, another challenge for Nehemiah. You'd think, you'd think at some point that things would get easier, that you got this massive milestone. We did it. It looked impossible. God blessed it. But oh no, yet again, another setback, another challenge, another thing going on. That's the constant lesson of leadership. It never ends. Uh, but that's why you've got to have faith and confidence in God because God's, he, hey, you know what the burden's on him. He's the greatest leader and it's his plan and it's his glory at the end of the day. Anyway, so what we learn about Tobiah is this. Tobiah has family connections. He has marriage connections into the community. That's what we read in the passage, his marriage connections. Also, he's the, he, so he's the son-in-law of a very prominent person. So he's kind of, he, he's kind of you know, carrying a bit of weight because of somebody who else is important, right? He's kind of one of those annoying people who's like, hey, this person's my relative, you know, and then they're using that as leverage, right? So he's got that going on. Also, it says that um, people had made oaths with him. We read that in the passage. People had made, they made oaths with him. So, so this is um, he's probably some kind of, he's probably got business contracts with people. People are in, in some kind of trade with him, some kind of business relationships with him. Uh, so, so there's that connection going on. But then also uh, we're told that in front of Nehemiah, all the people are constantly praising Tobiah. Now, this would be really irritating if, if, you, if you were Nehemiah. You know, you're like, you've done all this work, you've worked hard, you're trying to you know, build trust with the people, trying to restore Jerusalem, trying to do all this stuff. And then all these people, you know, your enemy, Tobiah, who is writing you letters, trying to st stop your work, thwart your efforts, you know, uh, stop the work of God. Uh, and then all the people who are on your side who helped you build the walls and rebuild the gates, all those people are siding with Tobiah, and they're coming praising Tobiah to you. He's such a good guy. You won't believe what he did for me. You know, I needed to change a tire. He helped me out. You know, man, I was, in, I was in a bind. He helped me out. It was, you know, it's amazing. They were so, they love this guy, but they're so blinded. They're so blinded. You know, they can't see that e either they are ignorant, they're completely blind to the evil that he's doing, or they're excusing it. They're excusing it. And this is a really hard lesson. This is a really hard, sobering lesson for all of us. That you can do the right thing. You can display integrity. You can say, I'm trusting God. And I'm going to put God in first place. And I'm going to act out in faith. I'm going to you know, do all these things. You, you can say all of that. And the very people that might be around you, that might be fellow believers might side with or have loyalty to or allegiance to those who are corrupted, who actually are working against the purposes of God. That's a really, really disappointing thing that, can, that does happen, can happen, is happening here. These people are blinded. They're blinded by a family connection. The weight of the family connections that they have is clouding their judgment. That's one thing we see. They've got these oaths that they, they've made, these business contracts, and we need to keep our promises, but uh, oaths go two ways, too. You don't keep up a bargain on, on one end if someone's violating it on the other end. We've got to learn that one as well. Uh, but also, um, he's, uh, what else did he see? He saw that, so we had the family connections. Lose them, I'm forgetting what I said here. He had the oaths. That was the third thing that I just forgot. The point is I'm making is my, my brain failed me. It'll come to me in a minute. But what we see here is as believers, as Christians, we need to 
make sure that we're building our greatest loyalty, our greatest allegiance with those who are fulfilling God's plans, God's promises. Because, well, ultimately our allegiance and loyalty is to God. And by extension to that, those who are walking in the ways of God and fulfilling the purposes of God and not be blinded by these other pressures to us, these other things that might have an undue influence in our lives that are influencing us in ways that we can't perceive or that we're not anticipating. And it's hard to see until you're in the moment. Because I could ask, I could say like, hey, each of us, we need to examine our hearts and say, are there undue influences in our lives that will cause us to actually undermine the purposes of God, undermine the work of God, undermine the restoration project of God? Are there things that can undermine that? You might say, well, no, no, there's nothing like that. But then something can come up. That was the other thing. It was the favors. The favors, right? Tobiah's done favors for people. How blinded can we be? Someone did a couple of good things for us. And we feel like we owe them our trust. We owe them our allegiance now, loyalty. But, well, just because they did a couple of favors for us, does it, does it mean that? I mean, I, I understand. We, you know, we want to love everyone. We want to respect everyone. But we have to come to this point and say, where, where is our loyalty and, and allegiance? Is it to, to God and by extension those who are following God or is it to those who actually, they're not interested in the things of God. They're actually kind of working against the things of God. Am I blind to that? And we need to ask that, that question sincerely. And if we're in a situation where there's influence upon us, we, we got to get br- ruthless and brutal about it and say, how is it influencing me and how do I need to make it right? Because we, what, we, what we didn't perceive is, see, see Nehemiah's had these enemies. We've gone through this. So that, uh, Sam Ballot was another enemy, not mentioned in this passage, actually. Sam Ballot was a villain. And uh, I was mentioning Tobiah here, Geshem's another one. There's other surrounding nations that are around them that are their enemies pressing in on all sides. I would have expected Sam Ballot to have made a bit of a comeback here. You know, like he was, he's been the ringleader. The, he's been the main antagonist here, um, the main... The main um, a villain, and I would have expected, you know, like any typical villain, uh, for him to have, you know, come back with, with more, more vengeance and be really menacing, you know, uh, kind of like, you know, re- uh, what is it, Sam Ballot Strikes Back, it could be, something like that, or Return of the, the Sith Ballot, or something like that. It could be, we go with different Star Wars uh, movie titles for it. But he's, he shrinks to the back here. Now that the city has been fortified, now that they've got national security and they can actually defend themselves against their enemies, Sam Ballot, who was a primary opponent, that goes away. So actually not as powerful as you might have thought. Had a big voice, sounded scary, but now that they've got defenses, he's gone to the background and now Tobiah has emerged as the biggest threat. Tobiah is the threat because now he has relationships that go through the walls. He has family connections, he has oaths, he has promises, he has favors that he's given to people that now gives him leverage over people that he can influence Nehemiah. He can undermine him from within. He can reach through those things, as it were, and affect it. And this is crucial to see what's happening here, that how the power dynamics are shifting and how things are happening here because it's a very tenuous time still, even though they're fortified, because it says in the city, they were few. So yes, they got fortifications. Yes, they can defend themselves. Yes, they're beginning to restore things but there's not many of them. Exiles are still returning from Babylon, but there's not many in the city yet. How can they defend this thing? They're still vulnerable. And it tells us this, that 
the personal residence within the city, the houses that people would live in in the city, those hadn't even been rebuilt at this point. Their focus had entirely been on the fortification project, on the wall and the gates. That's that, they had to have that focus. And they had to neglect these other personal needs, these other personal, they couldn't go in and say, we're just gonna build our houses first and then we're gonna work on that. It's like, no, 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 that's the wrong way around. You gotta fortify it first and then you rebuild the personal residence. And Nehemiah, we're gonna look at this next week, Nehemiah is then gonna have to face repopulating the city, bringing people in, helping people move in and occupy the city. And there's tons of space, massive, it's a big, it says here the city was large and wide and people had to come in and live there. There's a great parallel for us over these past couple of years, having to work hard at, and this is a year, this our year right now, 2022, is essentially our year of restoration, of really trying to lay back in foundations, things that had moved away, things that had crumbled away, things that had disappeared. We're trying to reinvigorate those things and pour energy into those things. And so we have been focusing on, on rebuilding things. And thank you for everyone who's been focusing on those things. But it, the parallel here for us is that we see that we had to prioritize things. And many people have made those personal sacrifices. Many people have said, yeah, I, you know, I, I can't work on the personal residence side of things. I've got to neglect that now because God's people need this. God's people are vulnerable and they need my attention and need, I need to pour myself into this. And through that, we've been stretched. I know I've been stretched. Many people have been, we've been stretched during this season. And there's good things that come out of that. And I want to thank everyone for that. But to stabilize it, to get them through this transition... Nehemiah is now appointing more roles. So everyone's role before was, hey, look, you're all, you're all a warrior and you're all a construction worker. You've got to build and you've got to fight. That was everyone's role. You got to, everyone's doing that because that's what matters. Now, some people continue in the security aspect of things, but now we're expanding these roles, getting these singers involved, getting these, these, these gatekeepers involved and these priests involved. These gatekeepers, these people were appointed and they're told to open the gates to close them at certain times of the day and to open them at certain times of the day to keep them more secure. There's times that are more vulnerable, times that are more, uh, they can actually have them open at different times. And so they're establishing these roles to guard the people and to guide the people, to protect the people. These gatekeepers were selected because they could be aware, they could keep a watchful eye on their enemies. And, you know, they could collaborate with the other gates that were around the city and the other defensive uh, measures that had been taken around the city. And so these people, they were chosen to do this job because they had a keen eye for it. They could see threats coming. They were super engaged in this and they, were, they cared about it. And so those people were selected for the gatekeeping role. This gives us an opportunity. This, is, this really points to a lot of what leadership is about. This is what leadership is about. It's about guiding and guarding, about keeping an eye, blocking, blocking threats, blocking, you know, protecting, just like a shepherd protects their flock, a shepherd protects the, the sheep, guarding and, and protecting those who are vulnerable and, and keeping a watchful eye out for it. And then beyond the gatekeepers and the singers and the priests that are mentioned there, it says that two specific roles are appointed. So Hananiah, who is um, Nehemiah's brother, and then, um, sorry, Hanani, excuse me, it's Hananiah and Hananiah, so very similar names, uh, which is interesting. And uh, maybe it's like Matt and Matthew, I don't know exactly how it works, but it's something like that. And so you get these two, two guys who are appointed to these roles, and they're appointed to 
be in charge of Jerusalem. So they're kind of appointed as mayors of the city. And uh, they're, so they're appointed in these, in these very prominent uh, positions. And the qualifications that are given for these guys is that they were faithful and they were God-fearing. And at Trinity Church, you know, we're not necessarily, we, we want to follow Nehemiah's leadership. We're not necessarily looking for, uh, you know, the, 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 um, the brightest and the best, the most talented, the people who, like, can do all the fancy things. We're looking for people with the right heart. That's, that's the key. That's the key, people with the right heart, people, people who have you know, the, the potential to grow into something, the, some, some level of competency to grow into a particular responsibility. But, hey, we're looking for those, those gatekeepers, those, those city mayors, those people who say, yeah, I've got, got a calling, got an interest, got a desire to, to block threats, to keep an eye out so that we can be secure and so that we can achieve the purposes of God, so we can release the singers some people aren't singers, and you know it if you're not a singer. If you're not a singer, you're a gatekeeper, or you're a priest, you're something. You're something, something else is going on. We see those things, those things happening, and this is, this is the nature of leadership, is leadership brings stability. Groups of people are naturally vulnerable. Naturally, as in, you know, it doesn't take long for a group of people to have infighting and to have disunity and to be vulnerable to... Uh, external or internal threats and attacks and leadership, le- the gift of leadership is given to help create unity, to help get everyone on the same page, to help activate everyone's gifting and everyone's contribution to bring it together so that people can learn to love each other and cooperate with each other to achieve an amazing purpose for God, to achieve an amazing outcome for God's glory, for God's purposes. That's the vision of leadership. That's why these roles are being appointed. And I want to, th- it's been a joy actually. We've seen it in the last several months. More and more people stepping into leadership roles in our church. And I want to thank everyone who's stepping into, we've got lots of, you know, people stepping into small group leadership roles. We've got small group assistants. We've got people stepping into serving coordinator roles and uh, other leadership responsibilities that people are stepping into. And I want to honor and thank everyone who's stepping into those roles and uh, taking on those tasks. It's a real blessing to see that. You know, some people discount themselves. Maybe you discount yourself from being a gatekeeper or, or, or being, in, being put in a position, being a mayor, being somebody who says, oh, I'm going to take on a pretty big role here. Like, maybe we can discount ourselves because we're afraid or, you know, it, you know, it could be fear, it could be uncertainty, it could be, there could be selfish reasons for that. Like, oh, it's too big a sacrifice, so I've got other things I want to do, not realizing that, that that God's calling shouldn't be rejected, that if God has a calling on us, that we need to respond to that, that calling. And so, it can, but it can, it can be those things. It can be that we don't, don't, we, don't, uh, we don't see it for ourselves. You know, it can be sometimes that we just, we just never see how important it is, that, that, that the world needs more leaders. It needs more people appointed to significant responsibilities who can pull and draw others through into those things. This is, this is the trajectory for all God's people. For all God's people, not that people, not that all people will be in prominent roles, but all people will go from forms of followership into forms of leadership. This is the trajectory that we're all on: is that God wants to grow us from infancy to maturity. He wants to grow us in all these different ways, from childhood all the way through to parenthood, and that can mean having your own kids. But for every Christian, that definitely means becoming a spiritual parent. That you, that you grow to that point of I'm not just no longer I'm no longer just an infant drinking milk, but now I'm a I'm a mature adult eating the meat 
you know, you can be a vegetarian, that's all right, I'm just, it's an, an illustration. So, or a vegan, vegans are all right, we're vegan friendly as well. But the idea is I'm going, I'm going from, from, from this childhood status, this newborn status, to now I'm a, I'm, I'm a more mature believer, I'm a more mature, I'm a parent type person, I, and now I live to pour into others, to invest in those other people. And I, we're always still growing, of course, that never stops happening, but I want to I say this to challenge you, no matter your level of involvement at Trinity, no matter how long you've been around, or no matter what your plans are, no matter what you think of yourself, I want to challenge you to push more and to take steps towards greater roles and greater responsibility. Take those steps. Many of you are. Thank you for those of you who are. But if you're not sure about it, keep pushing forward in that vein because God is drawing us out of our comfort zone. He's drawing us out of the labels that we put ourselves on or the box we put ourselves in or the plan that we have for our life and the goals that we've set and the vision that we have. God is oftentimes will pull us out of those things and say, actually, I've got a different plan for you. This is the, these are the steps I have for you. I want, to, I want you to do the greatest thing. The greatest thing is to build the house of God, to do the work of Jesus. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to build his church. That's the reason we're all here is that the church is the primary vehicle to shine the light of the gospel of grace in the world. That's what we're doing. I want to show you here a graphic of what we call the leadership journey to help give you an idea of some steps of how you can how you can traverse the leadership journey. So like every process, there should be three simple steps. I always like three simple steps. It's very Trinitarian, very easy. Three simple steps of the leadership journey. Not everyone will take on an official leadership title, but everyone can grow in forms of leadership and taking on important roles. The first step is to serve. This is what it means to grow in leadership is to serve. So this means I participate in a small group. I join a serving team or a special ministry and I just pitch in. And I say, hey, I just want to make a, a difference. I want to help out a bit. I don't want to serve. I want to get involved. This is every Christian. Every Christian should be at this stage, growing in this way, taking these things on. Then the second step is to assist. This means officially assisting in a group. So you're, official, you're an official small group assistant or a serving team assistant or a special ministry assistant. And then seeking feedback. Hey, how can I grow? How can I serve? How, can I, how am I doing? Like growing in that way. That's the second step. And then the third step is to lead, is to lead. And it's to step into a leadership role and then to recruit an assistant. This is the big test of leadership is I'm not just somebody who has a title and a responsibility. To be a true leader means... I'm now finding some others and I'm saying, hey, would you serve in a particular way in this ministry and would you be my assistant? Would you help me, my apprentice? Would you come along and get involved in it? That's the true test, the true challenge of leadership to bring people through in that way. And I, want to, I wanted to show this to us today to paint a picture that everyone can travel along the leadership journey at some stage, even if it's just step one. That is an example to everyone around you. Even step one is an example. Because leadership is not about bossing people around or telling people what to do. It's about, doing, it's about being like Jesus and, and, and sacrificing of our own comfort and our own, our own lives to be a blessing to others, to see others succeed and grow and change and be transformed. That's the joy of it. And you can take that, you can take that down now. But... Thinking about our small groups, as this relates to our small groups, our small groups just started this week, so it's the perfect time to jump in. Don't wait another week 
jump into a small group uh, today, sign up today. There's still spots available in our groups. And uh, for those of you who are in a group or you do join a group, serve in that group. Ask your group leader, hey, how can I serve? How can I get involved? Um, put your name forward to assist. Ask your group leader, hey, do you mind if I, you know, is there a chance I could leave one of the discussions, one of these weeks of the semester? You know, how can I assist this group? How can I grow into that? You have my permission to ask that, to initiate that. Of course, as leaders, we want to be reaching out to people and drawing people through and, and, and identifying emerging leaders and assistants. But also, if you somebody who recognizes, yeah, I, I desired that, that's a noble thing to desire. Desire that to step into uh, those roles and, and, and those things. We want to think of ourselves as being healthy citizens in God's kingdom. Healthy, productive, collaborative, invested citizens in God's kingdom who are working to achieve God's purposes together. Finally, lastly, let me land the plane on this. All of these events, all these things that are happening in Nehemiah, of course, as we've said, they point to the big event. So Nehemiah is in the Old Testament. All these things that are happening, they point to the big event in the New Testament, the big thing that's happening with the coming and the work of Jesus. And we see a lot of parallels. So even last week with the, with the conspiracy against Nehemiah, we see a parallel there with those who were conspiring against Jesus, trying to trap him in his words, trying to, well, they had false charges against him. They ultimately crucified him on trumped up charges. We see parallels here with those who should be supporting Nehemiah, those who have been with him, side by side with him, helping support the restoration project and should be his closest confidants and companions and helpers, but instead they rejected him and they're being disloyal to him. There's a big parallel there with even the disciples of Jesus, even Judas himself who turned on our Savior and betrayed the Lord Jesus himself. We see some great parallels here. That's what we're doing when we study the Bible. At every step of the Bible, we're seeing the great story that it points to the coming of Jesus. And what did Jesus do when he came? He came as the greatest servant. He washed the feet of his disciples. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He was an example to us of how we should live. But ultimately, he was the greatest sacrifice. We see the parallel with these gatekeepers who are those who are guarding and those who are guiding, those who are protecting the flock from wolves. Jesus is the ultimate, the good. He called himself the good shepherd. And we could even call him the great shepherd who is guarding the gates, building a secure fence for the sheep and guarding the sheep from wolves, ultimately laying his life down to protect us, to save us from our sin. This is the great truth of the whole Bible. This is why we live. This is why we exist. This is why we're here today because of Jesus, because of what he's done for us, because of who he is. He saved us from our sin and only he could do it. And that's the greatest joy we could ever have. That's the greatest meaning we could ever have. That's the greatest purpose we could ever have. That's why we sing. That's why there are singers released. That's why there are priests released. It's so that we can enjoy this grace, this gospel, this gift to us that we have only in Jesus. Consider how you can respond today. Get that Connect card out that you have. Go ahead and grab that Connect card that you were given uh, in your program when you came in. And go ahead and fill that in or you can fill in the digital copy of it. And um, if there's a step you need to take today, you can write it on the back of this card. You can write down a prayer request and any questions or comments. But you, if you have a step today, there's something you want to do today as a response to this sermon, write it down. So I'm going to commit myself to that today. If you miss the offering when it comes around to collect 
the Connect card and the offering envelope, then you can always put it in the uh, wall-mounted boxes at the back as well. Thank you so much for being with us today. We're going to close out with a few more worship songs. I love you guys. Happy Father's Day observed. Please stick around for, for donuts.